Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi everyone and welcome to On The House, the Household Management Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with expert knowledge from professionals in the field. I'm your host, Gabriella Yastra, coming to you from NAM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about gastrophysics um, with Dr. Stephen Hughes, who is a senior lecturer at the School of Maths and Physics at the University of Queensland and UQ College. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Gabriella. Um, how have you been doing? Good, thanks. Um, so, teaching. Busy teaching, good. Um, so, so we get to know you a little bit better. Do you mind introducing, you know, who you are and why you've come to the show? Yeah, so I suppose why I've come to the the show is it interest in some of the stuff I've been doing um, in what's called uh, gastrophysics. So I think I, I need to explain yeah. uh, a bit of, of, about that. Um, but my um, in my early days of my career, I was a a medical physicist in over in London doing stuff, uh, actually old sound of babies, treating brain tumours, uh, that 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 kind of thing, and then ended up as a university academic in Australia in, in physics, but then ended up, because as a boy I was interested in astronomy and I ended up starting astrophysics at another university I used to work at, QUT, uh, and was there for several years teaching astrophysics as well as regular physics, and then got this idea of being able to sort of use the physics of of kitchens, you know, kitchen appliances, and also cooking in order to be able to explain astrophysics to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. I- I mean, should I explain a bit about astrophysics and astronomy? Maybe we'll we'll wait till um, okay. after we've introduced you a bit better, a okay. bit more. Yep. Um, but it seems like you've you've taken quite a few steps, um, interesting different steps along the way. Um, so yeah, so interesting. Um, but we're going to do a section now called "Have You Met Stephen?" Uh, where we get to know you a little bit better. Um, so our first question is, um, "What's your favorite book?" My favorite. Book, story book, actually is uh, in the Narnia series, The Horse and His Boy. I do love that one too. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell everyone what it's about? Uh, well, the Narnia series, uh, they, people are most familiar with The Lion, the Wish and the Wardrobe, but there's, there's seven books altogether. I remember being introduced to them uh, at school and, and, and really loved them. And then actually learnt later on actually they're kind of um kind of a Christian allegory. Um in fact you probably have to be sort of a bit old it's only when I was an adult I really understood um what it was about. But the the horse and his boy uh, it's about this journey across the desert. I've got this fascination with deserts um to uh, to the land of of Narnia. And there's the whole the whole adventure and stop stopping off in this uh, in, in this big city, and they the, the main protagonist sort of gets split up, and, and just how they get back together. I just uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just just my, yeah, my favourite book. Mm, I always loved that one, um, probably because I really loved horses, and yeah. one of oh, the characters okay. is a horse. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. two horses. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I always loved that one, and also Voyage of the Dawn Treader was probably my favourite. Yeah, it's good. I, I was hoping they'd make this one into into a film sometime. Mm, I don't think so because it's sort of removed from the rest of the um, other main characters oh, who are in yeah, the Lion, yeah. the Witch, the Wardrobe. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, yeah, what about right, a yeah. mm, what about a movie that you've watched recently? Well, one I saw with my, my wife just um, last week, which I did like, called Living with Bill Nike. Uh, and I appreciate it because I, I used to uh, work in London and live nearby. I was born in London. So 
uh, I like seeing Waterloo Station. In fact, I I was telling my wife that actually the whole premise was not that far-fetched. I, I remember people standing on the train station with suit, pinstripe suits, uh, bowler hats. Uh, uh, it, it, was, it was actually... It was actually like that. So it's about this group of workers in London City Council. And, and I, I actually worked next door at St Thomas's Hospital for about 13 years. So I used to walk by. I used to actually come out of Waterloo Station and then walk actually past City Hall. It's now, London City Council got the, the uh, dissolved a number of years ago. In fact, I think it's turned to, I think it's a giant aquarium now. It's a London aquarium. Uh, but they used to, so all the workers were there, and and in the story, it's about this battle to get a playground built at somewhere in in London, and there's all the bureaucracy. People just keep shuffling forms around there. It's not out, and it's they, they'll put it on a pile. It will stay there for ages. So I can, I yeah, you know, I kind of appreciated that. But in the end, because the main character is dying of cancer, he he makes it his sort of final. Um, life's work to actually get this playground um, built, I think somewhere in the East End of, of London. So it actually pulls that through and its workers find that a great inspiration that they they actually, they need to do that. But there is a bit at the end because he, he, the main character dies, but then the film carries on and they're resolving to actually take his example. But uh, the person who takes his place is that they're back in the same the same behaviour, but I think someone you know realises that that they they just got to try and do something a a bit, a bit different. So I think quite a powerful story. Mm, yeah, sounds very um, very powerful um, about I guess realising what's most important to you and yeah fighting for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I completely understand um, seeing a movie of somewhere that you've you know really well and. Um, it's really cool to see, yeah, places that you know and say, "Oh, I used to stand at that street corner right there." Yeah, just 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 another story. I might offend some listeners. I, I really can't stand these Marvel type movies, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I, I, my, my youngest daughter's really into them, and I, I, I get so bored. If I, we did actually clash a bit, where we we're looking at one film, and uh, it might be Guardians of the Galaxy or something. I'm not sure if that's Marvel. What's the other one? DC Comics? Yeah, it um, is Marvel. Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Is it? Oh, okay. Yep. And the, the, the main character, is it Chris Pratt, there, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a background of this nebula. Mm-hmm. Uh, green, red. And I said to my daughter, that is so tacky. They should use the real thing. Because often... People see, you know, space pictures. Some people uh, they think they're they're computer generated, and all of they're not. It's it's a real it's it's a real thing. I reckon that to me, I've seen much better things, you know, through telescopes than in a Marvel movie. And my daughter said, "Oh no, no, look, it, it's it, it's in a different galaxy, so uh, it's going to look different anyway." I said, "No, no, it won't." Yeah, you know, it's the same universe, and we, yeah, you know, we can see these regions with a telescope. So a bit of a, a, a difficult, but I'm, not, I'm actually quite serious. That I reckon if they use if they use some pictures taken, say from New Space, you know, the Hubble Space Telescope or the James Webb Space Telescope, that would look so spectacular mm-hmm. on the cinema screen. It actually be better. Yeah. Why do you need to create something when something so beautiful is already there? That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, well. If if Marvel studio, studio is listening, please use real uh, pictures of space. Um, that's so interesting, though. I had never thought. I mean, for me, because I don't know anything about um, astro- uh, astronomy. Um, yep. I I just look at them and I'm like, oh, pretty colors. Um, I would never think about if it's a real picture or not. Yeah, I tend to notice instantly. You can tell uh, what's fake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and what what isn't? Yeah, probably everyone has those little things where they watch TV or a movie, and they're like, "That's not right," uh, but most people wouldn't notice. No. Um, no. Mm. And um, do you have uh, something that you're really interested in at the moment? Um, 
Uh, interest in, in, in astronomy and um, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well I suppose I've always been interested in, in that. From a professional point of view, I'm interested in, uh, well, I teach physics and maths as well, but I'm, also, I'm interested in ways of trying to engage with students using, uh, use, using real life. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I like classical music. I've just uh, finished seeing, there's a series on Netflix, Our Planet, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, David Attenborough. In fact, I'm not sure if anyone else does them apart from him. He's the main, uh, the main player. Quite amazing. I think he's he, is he 93 or 95 still going. Yes, yeah. He's uh, amazing. Yeah. But what really struck me was the the actual the music score is incredible. A guy called Steve Price. If I've been listening to the music, if I'm working on my computer, I have the film score, not the film score, the uh what do you call it, the music score for mm-hmm. our planet actually running in the in the background. It's really uh um yeah, really, really amazing. Yeah, I, I imagine that would be um, great music to have um, to sort of help you focus in the moment. But I also think it'd be quite funny to um, have that and you could like observe other people um, and pretend that you're David Attenborough and narrating just the people around you. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah if he feels sense of humor. I don't know if you're familiar with Brisbane at all. You, you, you're Melbourne, aren't you, Gabriella? Yeah, I've been to Brisbane, but I haven't spent much time there, unfortunately. No, there's all these um, ibises flying around, and they mm. um, you get in there the thousands on on rubbish tips, and um, they're called the bin chicken. And David Attenborough, if you Google it, he's actually done. It's like a proper documentary about the bin chicken. Yeah, with his oh. yeah, and uh, when you see the bin chicken, the ibis is getting stuff out of someone's bin. Yeah, yeah, and you have a look at that. It's quite good. I, I have seen them in real life in Sydney, and I was amazed. I was like, "What are they doing?" Um, so I'll have to watch that because that sounds so funny. Yeah, yeah, Attenborough, the binge chicken. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and have you done a course that has inspired you? Uh, the uh, I have actually done a course for, for uh, this century, I suppose. Um, oh no, no, I have I have done some uh, but work stuff. Um, I did actually sign up for masterclass for about two years. Uh, and I was, if I didn't actually renew it, um, but I did write it for two years and I uh, looked at the courses on writing. I was interested in, in, in writing. So that, that's, that's pretty interesting. That was inspirational. Yeah. I think that, um, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of academics need to have quite good writing skills for you know yeah. journal papers. Yeah, that's right. I suppose I've had no formal writing. If I came to school in the 60s in the UK and they had this experiment called ITA where you don't get taught stuff like grammar. In fact, you get taught the wrong spelling and then after that you get taught the correct spelling. The trouble is I've never got over the incorrect spelling bit. Uh, Even years later, I I still really – it's quite embarrassing teaching international students when I can't spell stuff and maybe they can. I just – yeah, even quite simple things – and so uh, I've done quite a bit of writing. I can um, I say journals, but a lot of it with me, it's just that I, if I even don't fully understand pronouns, nouns, verbs, I, I, I don't even know what an adverb is, something to do with a verb. Okay, I never got taught that. So it's just, mm-hmm. does, the, does my writing look okay? Does it look like what other people do? It's kind of like that. And often with spelling, um, it's just like pattern recognition. Does does it look right? I mean, okay, mm-hmm. I probably spelled it correctly. If that makes sense at all. Oh yeah. Um. So, how do you define household management? I suppose I'm not being an expert at all in household management. I suppose it would be um, make making sure uh, there's there's food. Um, Enough toilet paper. That's too crude, is it? But that's uh, in our house. I've had four children, two still at home. Uh, yes, <laughs> that that comes under household mm-hmm. management. Uh, taking the uh, the bins out on the Monday morning. I tend to do that. So uh, one Monday, that's the rubbish bin, and 
The other Monday is rubbish bin and recycling. Mm-hmm. Does it, yes. uh, uh, does it outside the house, like gardening as well? Or is that household? That's yard management. No, I, w- I would say that's also house, household management. So you're, what you're saying is it's just sort of anything, just sort of run, running the house, right? So, yeah, yeah. I suppose, yeah, that's what I kind of focus on the, uh, you know, the, the food aspect, but there's also cleaning as well. Mm-hmm. So um, we're talking about gastrophysics today, but... I guess, first of all, I want to start by saying, what is astrophysics? Okay. So, yeah, Gabriel, a really interesting question. Now, ast- in fact, one way I think about explaining most of us are familiar, well, people know they're familiar with the word astrology, um, uh, astronomy, and then uh, people probably heard of uh, ast- a- astrophysics. Now, uh, astronomy is how the he- is about how the heavens look. Uh, astrophysics is how they work. And uh, I think a, a useful analogy is, uh, is medicine, where you've got anatomy, which is the, which is, uh, the form of organs in the body, in the bones and the blood vessels, and physiology is how it works. So that they're, they're closely related and you get, you know, a department at universities, um, at the University of Queensland, uh, astrophysics is taught here, but it's part of uh, the School of Maths and Physics. Um, some departments, some universities have a department of physics and astronomy, or it could be physics and astrophysics. But astronomy, invariably, it will be connected to a physics department. If it's an interesting question because, uh, in some ways, it would work if it was part of an art department. But I've never ever heard of that uh, that that connection because some some amazing. Uh, I mean, some artists are inspired by uh, what they see. In fact, NASA does have an actual resident artist. In fact, um, I, I attended a lecture he gave when I was working at QUT, actually talking about that. So he actually his role is to sort of paint stuff. Uh, which NASA does. So astronomy is um, how things uh, how things look, and astrophysics is how they how they work. So it is it is a, a branch of of, of physics. Uh, astrology that most people are familiar with is kind of connected to uh, astronomy. I'm not personally a believer in astrology. Uh, I think some members of my family are. So interesting uh, uh, conversations. My daughter's getting on to me uh, uh, about it. Uh, but it's not. If I just, um, if I just tell you a funny story, I, I was mm-hmm. teaching uh, a few years ago down at the University of Sydney, and I had a a student email me and said, oh, "I think you'd appreciate this story." And his, his father was in an astronomy club. I think it was Gladstone uh, up. Um, uh, north of Brisbane in Queensland, and they would hire a school like once a month, I think, and they'd bring all their telescopes along, and the public would go there and they'd have a an astronomy session. One day they turn up they they get normally about twenty people. Mm-hmm. One day they turned up. There were two hundred people there. Car park actually full. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, everyone's interested. In astronomy, but they were really deflated. The newspaper made a mistake in the advert and said it was an astrology night, uh, and so everyone's uh, uh, flocked there. But hopefully, they, they people had a good time looking through uh, through two telescopes. I mean, I have I've given public lectures before, and I've been introduced as an astrologer. I've kind of just let that and then that pass. But there is quite a distinctive difference between astrology. Mm. Uh, astronomy. I thought there's there is a connection with astronomy and astrology, but um, less so with with astrophysics. So I'm not sure if that's clearly would be clear to listeners. So astrophysics is really it's like how the sun generates energy. All those things, uh, black holes, uh, gravity. It, it's really sort of nuts and bolts of that, rather than just how something looks. Of course, you. We start with the same thing. So, astrophysics 
it starts with astronomy. So without the mm. astronomy, there'd be no information coming um, yeah. down from the stars to be able to work things out. You need to know where the stars are before you can figure out how they work. That's right, yeah. 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 Okay, so, um, but how, how does astrophysics relate to cooking? Well, that's an interesting uh, question. One, it's a number, of, it must be about 10 years ago now, I think. I was, I was teaching a third-year cosmology class, which is about the like, origin of the universe and, and, and galaxies, you know, literally big picture stuff, um, and how the, 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 it seems that space itself is kind of it's stretching, it's stretching out. Mm. And a really good analogy to that, which people use, so I, I didn't come up with this one, is actually raisin a raisin loaf. Imagine you've got you've got the dough, mm -hmm. and you've got the raisins in it, and the dough goes in an oven or in a, in a bread maker, and it expands. Now, if you can imagine, if you say you're sitting on a raisin in the very very middle of that this dough, what mm -hmm. we would see is as the as the dough expands, where you've got the the heating and all the, the CO2 being produced by the, uh, by the yeast, uh, and so it expands. So we would actually see all the other raisins moving away from us. And that's, that's a really good analogy of what's happening. So the dome is like space, and the raisins are like, like the galaxy. So that's actually quite accurate. And I was actually using that analogy and I was walking out of a lecture uh, along with the students, and I said to one of them, oh, I've been thinking about doing a, a kind of a, a cookbook that explains astrophysics. And they said, oh, you so should. So I thought, oh, I'll work on that. And another thing I did, uh, I was opening a bottle of milk, a plastic model, I think like a two-liter bottle at mm -hmm. home, and I dropped it, and the milk kind of shot up and hit me in the face. Not sure you've ever done that before. Yeah, uh, I have. But that is the physics of a supernova explosion. In a large star, mm -hmm. there's a about eight or more times more massive than our sun. You get this iron core builds up in the middle, and the iron core becomes so heavy that it can't hold itself up against the weight, and so it just. I hope this doesn't ruin the audio. It, it suddenly, it suddenly collapses, uh -huh. and you it it crushes right down. In fact, I actually also in my teaching resort to cartoon physics. So you know, Gabriella, in a in a cartoon. In fact, if you go uh, Google it, someone's done a whole list of the laws of the car, the physics of the cartoon universe. Mm -hmm. And one is when a car when a cartoon character runs off a cliff. They don't start to fall until they realise that they've run off the cliff. They'll look around and then they'll say, "Oh, well, I'm off the cliff," and, ah, and then zoom down. Okay, and, mm -hmm. it, and literally, it's a bit like that because when the core of a large star collapses, it there's first processes processes which go on and it collapses extremely, extremely fast. And just an analogy: if you imagine the distance of uh, Brisbane to uh, Sydney, that is the radius of an iron core in the middle of a of a red giant star. So it's about uh, yeah, roughly 2,000 kilometers across. Now, what would happen in an, uh, if we were standing on that core in an eye blink? If we blinked, we'd miss the collapse. It actually, literally, in a split second, the iron would disappear from under our feet and it'd be the size of Sydney. It'd be that it'd be that quick, but then it the order of the protons and neutrons crush into each other and they rebound. It's a bit like if you've ever had a power you know a power ball and you drop a power ball and it bounces it, it bounces up and it's a mm -hmm. bit like if you think of all, lots of power balls all coming together and they all bounce off each other and you get this ah. rebound, but because the core catches so fast, the rest of the star. It's sort of it's a it's suspended above it. It just has had it just hasn't had time to move yet, mm -hmm. and so. But then, of course, with the, it does it starts to crush down. But in the meantime, that core has rebounded 
and it slams into the rest of the star coming down. And you get this shock wave that goes all the way through, and then it takes about three hours to get to the edge of the star, and then it throws the outer layers of the star off. So what happens when you when you and also you can do this. I've done this in a lecture before. I filled up like an empty um, Coke bottle with with water, and I bang it down on a bench, and I've got it nearly to the top of a really tall um, lecture theatre. Because what happens? You bang down, and mm -hmm. what the water pushes down on the bottom. It's got obviously got to be a plastic. Uh, bottle. It can't. Mustn't be glass. So when I was listening, don't do this with glass. Uh, so a plastic bottle, and it flexes down, and then it flexes up, and when it pushes on the water or the milk, you get a shock wave which goes all the way through, and then when it gets to the top of the water or the milk, there's just there, and so it, there's no more milk to push or water to push into. So it flicks it off up into the uh, up into the uh, up into the air. And mm -hmm. so I thought, wow, is that some uh, – and I used to do this thing called a space day where students would come along from local schools, uh, and that's one of the experiments. Um, yeah, I have a uh, – it's a lamp with a tap and a bottle, and it's great fun. Lots of great fun to our students, you know, bang it down, of course. There's a competition who can hit the ceiling. Um, but that, that's, that, that is the physics of the supernova explosion. So I, I was thinking to myself, I reckon there's lots of other areas, things in the kitchen, which relate to astrophysics. And, of course, they they do. In fact, just the, the – you don't mind if I just keep explaining? Yeah, um, go, go ahead. Yeah. So like in an oven, I think people would appreciate this, that when you cook something, it's critical that you, you, you get the right – Temperature that you can't like. I know if if you um, yeah, you need 110 or 120 because that's when uh, sugars actually uh, um, start reacting with um, uh, amino acids, Maynard uh, reaction. But you've got for for for, for cooking actually is uh, it is chemistry. It, it, it mm. is chemistry, and you've got to reach a certain temperature for a chemical reaction to take place. So it's no good. You can't, if it takes one hour to cook something, you can't put the oven, say, on 60 Celsius and say, oh, I'll do it in two hours. It won't, you know, it won't work. We know there's a certain threshold. Uh, either you get these disasters, things are not cooked properly. Of course, you can't oh. go too far the other way, get it burnt. I was going to say, or do the other thing that my mom does, which is put it on twice the temperature and think it cooks twice as fast. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another uh, thing where the physics doesn't quite work out. And and the way uh, – I mentioned that, um, you know, explosion of a large star and you can actually simulate the physics that by dropping a, a, a bottle in your, in, in your, in your kitchen – but also in the core of the last star, before it does explode, it's a massive chemical factory. Now, a star like our sun, which is a relatively small star, what that our sun is doing, it's fusing or pushing hydrogen atoms in it, pushing them together, and they're forming into helium, which some people will know uh, goes in party balloons and. Uh, I was doing a demo on my daughter. So if you breathe it, you 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 speak with a funny, a funny voice. Mm -hmm. So helium gets made about six hundred million tons a second. It's a it's a incredible amount of helium gets made in the core of our sun, and that's what releases uh, energy. In fact, in the form of X rays. If we were to travel into the sun, it it would be brilliant black. It's brilliant X rays. Uh, but the X-rays take a long time to come out of the sun, and by the time the X-rays get to the surface of the sun, they've turned into heat and light, and, um, and then fly to the Earth. And of course, that's um, at a deeper level. We're talking about cooking. We cook food for us to eat food to get energy. And sometimes mm. I start um, a lecture to my students. I walk in and I say that you ate some of the sun for breakfast this morning. And then we actually we we break that down. The fact the energy, if an energy, you know, um, you know, moving my fingers around now and speaking, that ultimately came from the very centre of the sun. 
got turned into uh, x-rays. Uh, in fact, the actual, this point seems a bit weird, but the sun loses 5 million tons every single second because that mass gets turned into x-ray energy, which then flies to us, goes to the surface of the sun, it comes out as light, it lands on a leaf, and that energy gets used in photosynthesis um, to make starches and amino acids that we then eat uh, uh, eat as food. And so we then we but then burn that food in our bodies with the oxygen. And so we're literally we're, we're in that sense we're all solar powered. We get our energy from the uh, from the sun. So I like going through that yeah, with the students. That's amazing. That's, yeah. So that that's what's happening in in the sun. But the sun. When it comes to the end of its life, it's a long, long time in the future, five billion years, which we can't really uh, uh, comprehend. It will turn into a white dwarf. Because what will mm -hmm. happen? In fact, again, this is a cooking analogy. Uh, when a sun, when a star, any any star, when it runs out of fuel in the core, that's like uh, gas in the barbecue running out. So mm -hmm. it's literally like that. The barbecue runs out. And um, if you've ever done it, I've done it where the gas runs out or you switch it off and you can still like cook eggs for quite a few minutes afterwards because there's a lot of residual heat in the, uh, in the steel plate on a barbecue. But so that's what, so when a star like our sun runs out of gas in the court and the, the other gas on the outside can't just go in because of the pressure difference. It, it can't do that. It's a bit like you can't put a barbecue gas bottle in, inside a larger gas bottle in hope mm -hmm. that the gas goes in. It does, doesn't work like that. So so once the fuel has run out, it's run out. And because of that, so the core of a star, with the heat being generated, it's like the foundation of the star. And then when the heat's gone, the foundation collapses. And a star like our sun would actually collapse all the way down to the size of our Earth. But the gravity would be absolutely crushing, 750,000 times stronger than gravity on the Earth. If I, when I, again, when I've talked to students about it, if we hypothetically could, could go to a white dwarf, we would actually turn into a human pizza, a dead human pizza. You would just squish it out across the surface with that sort of gravity. Um, so well, there's lots of, lots of cooking stuff. And another thing that's quite surprising is that a white dwarf, at the end of its life, the center turns into a solid diamond. Ooh. In fact, a th a the same size as our Earth, but 300,000 times the mass. Now, it'd be I impossible to mine that, that diamond. Uh, you just couldn't because the extreme gravity. Although I have set an exam question before, um, uh, not how you would mine it, but if a if a journalist said to you, "Why can't we mine? Go to a white dwarf?" And I think the closest one is fifty light years away. In fact, it's called Lucy, Lucy with sky with diamonds. That's its official. Mm -hmm. If you Google it, you'll come across that. And on the wiki site, there's an artist's impression of what it would like, but it would be. A, a solid diamond, but in my exam question, I said, "What would you say to a, uh, say to a journalist?" And the answer is, "You know, fifty light years is too far away, and you couldn't get it because of the crushing gravity. And even if you could mine that amount of diamond, it means the price of diamonds on the Earth would effectively become zero. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, if a big source of diamonds were found, I expect they'd get used." Say on road surfaces, you'd have very, very hard wearing road surfaces or industrial diamonds. Yeah, so that's um, and so that's what happens to our sun. But in a big star, the sort of the 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 he then you get the helium will start to burn, and that forms into carbon, which is the basis mm -hmm. of life on Earth and um, all the food we eat, uh, bread, etc., carbohydrates. Um, oxygen gets made in the core of a star next. In fact, it quite, I was quite surprised doing some research that like a bread roll, basically there's only three things, carbon, oxygen, hydrogen. Um, 
There's a few minerals and things as well, but that, that's the mm. basics of what you need. Uh, and then nitrogen gets made as well. And then you've got sulfur, which is in eggs. In fact, in my, some of my, when I explain this to you, so I talk about some of the stuff from a household um, point of view to make that, you know, make that connection. Uh, aluminium, all these things get made in, in this course. It's a, it's a vast chemical factory. And then that mm. explosion I mentioned, that's when in an explosion, elements heavier than iron get made. So if you've got a, a gold ring, that was made in a supernova explosion. Cool. Um, uh, lead is made in a supernova explosion. Uh, 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 uranium, all these heavy elements um, get made because the, the explosion is so intense that everything gets mixed together and literally atoms get slammed into each other and get formed into heavier elements. In fact, that, actually, that, has, that inspired a special dish because I did this book originally called Gastrophysics and I put it on Amazon. I've taken it off now and I've rewritten it as called Star Bites because Gastrophysics, I think you can think it's uh, – you know, gastric problems like gastroenteritis, and uh, mm. but it is a proper term, and it's the science of cooking. Uh, but mm. I've thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll do Starbucks. I haven't actually published a book yet. Uh, maybe this podcast will spur me on to actually getting around. Yeah, uh, I want to read it. But I, I tend, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a copy. I tend to um, run years late on some of my projects. Uh, but that's so that's that's what happens. You get the, the you get these elements manufactured in in the intense explosion, and that inspired a dish called the supernova trifle. In fact, friends actually uh, it's become a real hit. People often ask me. In fact, people actually ask me for the recipe, um, and what I, I I do I get these little rollets, you know, like a yeah, vanilla rolls, you know, little mini rolls, you know, mini ones. Mm-hmm. Yep. In fact, there used to be Cotty's mini rolls, and there was a strawberry one, but I haven't been able to find them. Um, so now I just use the chocolate and the vanilla. They go mm. into a cool whip, then a layer of cream on on top, um, 600 ml whipped up, and then rum and raisin chocolate. And I, I do a lot of kitchen research, experimentation, and it really, it really kind of only works properly with rum and raisin. It doesn't work with other chocolate. So I've quite, okay. I've actually done some experimenting. Rum and raisin, and then sprinkles over the top, uh, and mm-hmm. that actually the colours I get right looks like a as what's called a supernova remnant. You get all these brilliant colours. Um, there's one called the Crab Nebula, which is a particular inspiration for this dish. So you've got all those colours. And then beneath it, I've got the all the chaos of the different uh, roles all kind of together. And um, mm-hmm. I sometimes explain that to people where it's all come from. But it's um, um, and children particularly uh, like it. And to me, the, the the biggest endorsement, even someone says nothing, if they go up and get a second helping, to me that that's worth a whole lot of words. And, and if people get more, I know. Um, yeah. And even one of my um, my uh, my children's cousins has been known to actually have it for breakfast. Actually, when it's been, I must be I've done that as well because uh, it's really cheap. And mm-hmm. The ingredients are twenty, about twenty dollars. Uh, so you need the milk. You need one point four liters of milk, uh, two Cool Whip things, the Swiss rolls, the the cream and the chocolate. It comes about twenty, just over twenty dollars, and it's at least twenty serves. So it's really quite, um, uh, quite economical. So that's mm. uh, that's an example. So as well as using the uh, astrophysics or using the physics of kitchen appliances, so there's the, the oven, and and mm-hmm. just to conclude that story with the with a star. The temperature has got to reach certain milestones for the elements to cook. And the heavier the element, it needs a hotter temperature to cook at. So it's just like uh, it's, it's like in um yeah, like in an oven, you've got to get a certain temperature, certain sugars, glucose, mm. sucrose, etc., lactose have all got different 
uh, caramelization temperatures where you've got it. And I've, um, another inspiration, I like uh, making fudge. It's me. I call it fudge fusion, uh, mm -hmm. it, uh, named after what happens in the stars. And I, I'm quite particular. I've got all these electronic uh, thermometer probes I stick in, you know, make, I get it just on the 113. And I've actually discovered the fudge. You really, it's got to be, it's, you know, it can't be too too low, too hot. Um, there's a kind of a Goldilocks zone for cooking cook the fudge. And yeah. uh, and in in the stars, it's the, it's the same. You've got this sort of, uh, you know, certain temperatures and, and the chemicals get, um, get, get made. Mm. Um, yeah, that sort of reminds me of, um, you know, when I do my own cooking, um, the general is um, 180 degrees for most like baked goods. But then if yeah. you want to, you know, roast the broccoli, it's got to be 200. So it gets nice and crispy. Whereas I made a slow roast that roasted for 12 hours and I had that on about 120. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just interesting because um, why would you want to have it at different temperatures? Well, they do different things. Um and it's yeah, the same do, with the yeah. sun, I guess. Yeah, yeah and with yeah, yeah. Um, so, how how else can we use um, gastrophysics to inform our cooking? Um, yeah, well, how, how can we use it in our in our kitchens? Yeah, well, there's another. Sorry, just another story following on about the slow cooking. Mm -hmm. There, there is actually um, a stellar analogy to that. There's you probably heard of them. There's red dwarf stars. They're the smallest possible star. They're only about um, a tenth the size, or a bit under the tenth the size of our sun, and they're the lower limit. They're only just big enough for nuclear fusion to take place. In fact, below that, there's what's called brown dwarfs, which are uh, failed stars. They're a bit bigger than our planet Jupiter, and they they do what's called a low-grade deuterium fusion um and they're, they're they're not a bright color they're, they're sort of brown in fact in astrophysics we've got a very direct way of naming things so a black hole is a hole that's black yeah red dwarf stars are small stars which are red so it's a, a white dwarf it's a tiny little star that's white so it's it's kind of easy to work out what's um mm. what is going on but these red dwarf stars they, but so the, the rule in astrophysics is the smaller the star, the slower and longer it burns. And to me, the analogy, you talk about the slow cooking. Another thing I've got at home, in fact, actually, I bought it, it's inspired by astrophysics, is a, a smoker. It's a, I call mm. it an acorn smoker. It's shaped like an acorn. Got it from Bunnings. And in fact, to me, I... I, I any opportunity to use it to me is pure experimenting. Um, sauce, anything is great. In fact, I, my first thing I did was to think of the called the Firebird because um, it's a chicken with all these chilies in it, and that was to represent a a red dwarf. And you've got the uh, with this smoker, you you you, know, you run it for quite a few hours, and you've got the you've got the cinders there, and it's a slow. It's a slow burn, and often I, I like to experiment when I finish with a slow with the acorn smoker. I put the vents down. I said, "Can I get it going all night?" I just said, "It's burning very, very slowly." In fact, I'm really totally green. I only run it on scraps of wood from our yard that fall off trees. So oh, it's all totally uh, it's all totally natural. So zero uh, fuel cost. And no one's dropped dead yet, so it must be okay. Um, but so the red dwarfs, very, they, they burn very slow. And inside them, what happened? They've got this sort of dredging which takes place. And so the, the center of the star, the core, gets refueled all the time. Whereas a big star, it doesn't. You've got the fuel in the core. It's like a gas bottle, barbecue gas bottle. Once it's run out, that's it. You've got no more, you've got no more energy. Um, until it goes into what's called the red giant stage, mm -hmm. um, which is a whole another thing, and then it gets a new it's a new lease of life. In fact, analogy for that, not quite in cooking, would be if you've ever done people done running. I, I used to be a cross country runner. You get a second wind 
And so stars actually get a second wind. They run out of hydrogen and then they switch to burning uh, helium. So it's like if you had a barbecue and then you switched out the um, the gas last minute and then it had a whole more lot more gas. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a bit like um, yeah, it runs out and then you, you yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Then you swap the gar- barbecue bottle off, or our case, go down the road because you haven't got another one. Then you do the swap and go. Mm. I've got a question about that, um, which is, so you're saying that um, the red dwarfs, they are quite a low temperature and they go for a long time, whereas the larger stars um, burn hotter. Um, does that mean that they sort of, um, not fizzle, but they don't last as long as the red dwarfs? Yeah, no, very well spotted. That That's right. So red dwarfs are, in fact, they, they live so long that the universe is far too young at 13.8 billion years for any red dwarf to get anywhere near the end of his life. In fact, they they go from a staggering 1 trillion to 10 trillion years, probably. Uh, uh, so a trillion, that's one with 12 noughts after it, mm-hmm. um, 10 trillion, 13 noughts. So that's an immense amount of time. So they're... They're literally like they've only just been born. In terms of, uh, you know, a baby, it's like they've just been born. They're just a few hours or even a few days old. Um, but on the other end of the scale, the biggest stars, it's all boom and bust. So only about one one million years. In fact, there there are stellar nurseries in space. They're big gas clouds. Um, in fact, another thing I have a go at with my students is. Um, errors in science fiction. Um, there's some Star Trek movies where spaceships, they hide in the nebulae. That would not happen. If we were in those nebulae, it'd be absolutely crystal clear. In fact, clearer than any sky on the Earth because the, the, the material is so spread out that it's, um, you know, when you're in the nebulae, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see that. But mm-hmm. anyway, in these... Um, out in space, you've got these uh, oceans of gas and and dust, but they're absolutely immense. There's several light years across. Again, we can't really get our heads around that. This human being's light travels 300,000 kilometers in one second, which is around the world seven times in one second. That's how fast wow. we go. And you imagine if you multiply it out by year, um, it's, uh, it's an immense um, uh, distance, you know, uh, wherever it is, uh, trillions of uh, kilometers. And what happens, you get you get sort of slightly denser regions of the space, space time, space, and the, the gas and dust sort of comes together and forms a clump, a bit like when rain on your garden and it forms into a puddle. So it's like a, you get these puddles in space and then they get drawn together through gravity, and then the the star becomes hot enough for nuclear fusion to take place. And when that happens, stars enter what's called a main sequence stage when they're burning hydrogen into helium. And then they, if they're big, they can then go in into that stage of making other chemicals like uh, uh, helium being fused into carbon, etc. Now the biggest, the biggest stars. Uh, about 150 times bigger than our sun, they burn out in only one million years. Okay, that seems um, seems a like lot a long time. Stuff. It does, yeah. But that it, they're only they're equivalent to a mayfly. That is mm-hmm. extremely quick. It's so quick they 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 they're born, live, and die in the stellar nursery. They never leave it. They 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 mm-hmm. bang because at first. When people discovered these giant explosions called gamma ray bursts, they thought, wow, that's weird. Why are these things happening in stellar nurseries? You know, they stars had just been born. And the reason is they they were sort of they were burnt out babies to sort of almost become adults before they, you know, before they leave the hospital. It's kind of always mm. that's that's that that's that, that that's what it's that that's what it's like. I guess it's a bit like comparing the lives of butterflies to the lives of elephants. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a good analogy. Yeah. 
because yeah, butterflies, they live like a day and then they're dead. Whereas elephants, they live a hundred, I don't know, 50 years. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's, that's, mm. that, that's what it's like. So in fact, stars are more diverse uh, than human beings in that sense. If you take mm. the, yeah, the, 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 dip, the difference, some of the big stars are huge. Yeah, they fill up most of our solar system, the really, really big ones. So that's uh but talk about the 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 bot globules thing, um there's there's a in out in 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 space, there's a wonderful uh pink colour. It's called mm -hmm. it's from hydrogen, it's called H alpha emission. Um it's really uh yeah, a lovely kind of pink colour. And I also desire that I wanna I wanna I want to generate that pink color in a cake, um, and I dipped this thing. I think it did actually work. It worked quite well. This sort of brilliant pink, and I got little um, uh, little black bits of. Uh, I think it might be one of my children's birthdays. Little black bits of licorice. Those mm -hmm. licorice you've got, they've got little colored centers in them. So I put that on, and I actually bought some fairy lights and bunnings and put it around it. If my wife said to me, you've actually done something creative. She was actually quite uh, impressed. And I uh, thought my youngest daughter said, Dad, can you make my next birthday cake? So I thought, oh, great. That's, um, that really has, has, has worked. So that, that's just another aspect where the stars have been used as the inspiration for uh, baking, a, baking a cake. What I love about, um, you know, the recipes that you've been explaining is that it they don't seem to be super complex. I mean, when you say gastrophysics and ha the, the mathematics of cooking and the mathematics of um, space, they sound very complex and very um, something that only researchers and maybe Heston Blumenthal, professional chefs would use, but they seem to be applicable to everyone. Um that's that's really great. Do you have any other uh, things that you could share with our listeners, like any recipes? Yeah, there, there's a whole lot. Yeah, um, I was going to say it's got to be simple, and as I wouldn't understand it, if I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm not very. I, I'm, I'm quite good at holding numbers in diagrams in my head, but not recipes. I, I have to have my MacBook actually on the kitchen bench. If I actually that Starbites book I mentioned with recipes, I actually use it myself. I put the up the recipes and I actually um, uh, use it. In fact, just to go through some things, I mentioned the raisin loaf analogy. I've done a version of that, which I call Hubble Damper. The astronomer who discovered that all the, all the galaxies are spreading away from each other was Edward Hubble. In fact, it's only... Um, a century ago that he made this discovery. It's quite amazing. It's only 100 years mm. that we've realized that galaxies are these vast cities or stars you know, beyond our galaxy. And so I actually make damper, including craisins. I get craisins and the ocean spray craisins because they're red and the galaxies are red shifted. So I like that uh, analogy. Mm. So I've done it. I call it Hubble. Uh, Hubble Hubble damper. It's it's kind of it's a mixture between savoury and and sweet. Really, it's sort of some weird um, hybrid. In fact, when mm. I first did it, I opened it up and I, uh, I put pictures in the book, and I saw two craisins stuck together. I was, oh no, it's failed. They're stuck together. I was, oh no, this is actually quite accurate because galaxies they're not just uniformly spread out the universe. They exist in clusters. So we're in a big cluster called the Virgo cluster where the galaxies are held together by gravity. So I thought that's an extra element of accuracy. The fact some of the quasons are actually stuck together. So they actually represent galaxy uh, clusters. Wow. Um, yeah. So tell me, um, uh, what, what's another recipe that uh, you've uh, created that you really enjoy to um, make at home and also that uh, shows off some some different um, aspect of astrophysics? Well, one of my, 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 my favourites, it's not very creative from a cooking point of view, is what I call a supernova baked beans on toast. 
which are mm-hmm. just baked beans, but with red chilies, either a big red chili cut up. If I actually had this just a few days ago, um, or if I want a, a bit of a kick, I put the small red chilies in the um, in, in, in the baked beans and then uh, put them on, on toast. Preferably the toast should be burnt a little bit because that's carbon and that's what's in a white dwarf star. White dwarf stars like carbon, that's what turns into into the diamonds. But actually, there's quite a serious astrophysical aspect because when you when you cook baked beans, uh, I'm not sure if you're into baked beans. Uh, they're probably I love baked my, beans. yeah, my favourite food. In fact, barbecue baked beans, and you've got that you know, put put pop. It kind of pops when it's done, and you get these little bubbles that come up and they burst. And now, actually, this I've, I've actually checked. Um, I think an expert on this. That in a a white dwarf star, what actually happens is it, it gets larger and larger. Uh, in fact, often a white dwarf star is near a red dwarf, and it collects material from the red dwarf. It's like a massive waterfall. It comes thundering down on the white dwarf, and you, it gets covered in this ocean of hydrogen, about one meter deep, and then the whole lot explodes. In fact, the whole, uh, in fact, there's two stories in this. The whole surface is a thermonuclear explosion, but the star survives. Then the hydrogen gets turned to helium, and then you get more hydrogen coming along. That explodes, called a nova, and it turns into um, helium. And it's heavier, heavier, heavier. And incidentally, I did actually develop a cake for my, my, one of my son's 18th birthday called the White Dwarf Cake. It was like a chocolate cake with the white icing on it like you get with a, a wedding cake. And I dug these channels in it and put 50% rum on it and we set fire. So we had 18 with these flames from the, from the burning rum. And then at a later date, we relit it to, to show that the cake survived. It didn't actually explode. So that's the... The white dwarf cake. If I took a video of that at the birthday party, that's the white dwarf cake. Mm-hmm. Now, with the getting back to the the white dwarf and the and the baked beans, what actually happens? So, as the layer uh, layer of helium builds up, the white dwarf gets more and more massive, and it reaches this critical limit, and it can't support itself anymore. Same as what happens in a big star, and it suddenly is is on the verge of collapsing. What happens, a hot bubble, the gas bubble, emerges in the middle. It rises up, just like a bubble with baked beans, and then it bursts on the top, and this shock wave goes all the way around the white dwarf, and then when it hits the other side, it actually all slams together, and that is a thermonuclear trigger, and the entire star just um, erupts in what's called a type 1A supernova explosion, and they are the brightest explosions in the universe. You may have heard about the work uh, uh, Brian Schmidt, um, ANU, measuring the increasing expansion rate of the universe, and they use type 1 supernova um, to actually work that out. So that's natural. So the supernova beans on toast, you've got those bubbles, which is the mechanism that triggers the explosion, and then you've got the heat of the of, of the chilies. In fact, so I'm on. Sorry, one more thing. My, I think another favourite, which I must mention this podcast, is the black hole pizza developed mm. in Joshua Fenimide, and that is the is a pizza, a pizza with different types of cheese on it, and then chilies. But what we've got. We've got mild chilies on the outside, medium in the middle, and super hot in in the very very core of it. And but the way you've got to eat this pizza, instead of the pointy side first, you've got to eat it the wide side. And as you eat it, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and that um, that simulates where matter gets sucked into a black hole. It gets hotter and hotter, 
the clothes is whizzing around in a spiral and just before it gets sucked into the point of no return, that's when it's super, super hot. So that that's another um I've done that I've done that a few times. Mm. And actually you really um not just I didn't just eat it because, you know, I made this black on pizza. I really did kind of um enjoy it. So I actually do um I still make these things myself. It's not just uh of academic interest, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's a whole range of, uh, of of these dishes that I use. Sounds delicious. I would love now to have um, a dinner party where I get to make all of these things. All oh, right, and yeah, then right um, get to like explain everything to my friends. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I just put this podcast on for them, and they can listen to us talk. Um, yeah. So thank you for all of those recipes. Um, yeah. Um, Definitely going to be doing some of those. Um, maybe not the chili pizza, the black hole no. pizza, because I'm not a huge fan of chili. Oh, you're not. Uh, or not the really hot ones. So the I think the center would be a bit much for me. Yeah, um, I'll probably be addicted. I think to chili. All these I've, hot sauces as well. I've 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 heard that yeah, the more chili you eat, the more you crave it, and the more you yeah. want it. Um, but I also want to ask you um, a practice that you do um, in your own home to like improve your cooking. Uh, interesting question, Gabriella. Um, I'm I'm a big fan. Well, I suppose being um, by profession, you'd call me an experimental uh, physicist. Uh, so I'm really big on um, experiments, and I, I do I do actually uh, treat the kitchen like uh, like like a laboratory, I suppose, in in, in a good sense. Um, but I must admit, not without all the health and safety documentation that. Uh, we have to have at the uni, uh, everything we, we do, there has to be a, a risk assessment. But I don't do that, uh, being a kitchen. But I do do a lot of experiment. And I suppose I'm willing to push things. I think other people, or my wife, for example, might you know, question what, you know, why do that? Because, yeah, it's probably not going to work. But to me... I will. I I would do that. I will actually spontaneously do really, really weird food combinations, like marmalade or biscuits. I just 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 do um, or peanut butter. Just to see what happens. You know, sometimes it's yuck, but but sometimes it's good. And and that's the way. If you measured to me, you know, Turkish Turkish delight. Was an mm-hmm. accident. So I made it an accident. I'm sure there's lots of other examples. I'm sure. Um, I'm not. I mean, I I heard about the Turkish delight thing when I was probably about ten. So I would probably fact check that before um, staying saying for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, I've certainly done lots of made lots of um, experiments with food. Most of them have not worked out well. Um, <laughs> But how will you know that something is bad until you've tried it? I mean, the first person who did probably, what was it, chocolate and tomato, probably did not think it was going to go well. I've never done that one. Is that a pos- chocolate and tomato? I heard someone eats chocolate and tomato. I mean, I don't like tomato, so I'm okay. not going to like it anyway. No, no, thanks for mentioning it. I'll give that a try. Yeah. Um, or like what I did as a kid was Vegemite, peanut butter, and um, golden syrup. Okay. Wow. Which was pretty good. Yeah. I thought it was good. Yeah, yeah. So I do, um, yeah, so I'm a big believer in, so improving practice to me, mm-hmm. um, experimentation. In fact, at the moment, I'm working on these, um, I've called them brechia rock buns. Uh, I've been writing something about the uh, the moon. It's of interest now, the moon. Uh, in fact, just yesterday, they selected the astronauts to go back to the moon Um um, women and, and three men. Um, so it's going to be Artemis two. It's going to be a flyby. Uh, but since they get back on the surface, they'll be collecting rocks again. And there's these rocks there all kind of being smashed together. Um, and I've so I've done made a, a rock bun to kind of represent that with all this different fruits all in it. Um, my first experiment did work. It was a bit kind of friable. So I need to, I don't know if I left it in the oven too long um, or the mixture. Uh, I was actually thinking of doing an actual controlled experiment where I make these little rock buttons and then take them out, say, after 20 minutes in the oven, 
25 minutes, 30. So I've got an actual, I've got the timing to see whether, uh, which is which is the best kind of uh, time. Mm. Yeah, so I suppose it's a bit of a scientific approach to, uh, to, to cooking. Oh, I do Google stuff. Um, uh, Taste.com, I get quite a few ideas off that. I don't know who runs that, but I've actually got lots of, if uh, for the astrophysics stuff or gastrophysics, I would usually, I would I do some research and then often I will then apply my own twist mm. to it. There's no one called red potato, red giant um, sweet potato pie. It's red, and I, I, to me, I really like that. I, I, I leave out. I don't like cinnamon, so I leave that out. To me, I like the pure. Try to get to the pure sweet potato with the with the sugar. But a mate of mine sells um, little business doing lemon myrtle. Uh, mm. I think it's called lemon myrtle pods or something. And I, uh, I actually put lemon myrtle in as well, and it's sort of. Uh, quite a unique sort of mm. scent and also uh, taste. So I'll, I'll do some weird stuff like that as well. Yeah, I think it's always good to like try and come up with new things um, because, you know, we're not, we don't always have cinnamon in the house. Uh, might have a lemon myrtle tree outside. Use that instead. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you for joining me today. Um, I've learned a lot. I'm going to cook some of these things. Um uh, if people want to find you and um, maybe some of your recipes, where can they find you? Uh, they can, if they do Stephen Hughes, maybe Stephen Hughes UQ, and then you'll you'll get on, see me listed, uh, LinkedIn as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, uh, we'll put those links in our show notes so people can find you. Yeah, or the, people can email me if they want. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. open to that. Okay, yeah, we'll put the email in there as well. Great, thanks for joining me today. Um, It was very interesting. Thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to On The House, produced by the Household Management Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes like this from across 10 life management perspectives can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, and any other podcasting apps available on your smart devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating, sharing, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people to find it so we can grow and continue to bring you quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, hm.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Gabriella Yastra. Thanks for tuning in.